0: You're listening to Feminist Killjoy's PhD in our Feminism, Pop Culture, and Politics, as discussed
1: by two professional Killjoys. I'm Rachel. And I'm Melody. And today we'll be discussing the possible resurgence of George W. Bush era activism, the return of militant street protests, Not My President, Critical Mass, and sad songs about the state of our country, plus the incredible whiteness of it all. It's all here. But first, Melody, where can our listeners find us on the internet?
0: You can uh, subscribe to our show on iTunes and leave us a review. Those are always fun to read. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. We have a Spotify mixtape on Spotify. Who would have thought? And uh, if you have extra Mm -hmm. dollars and want to support feminist media, labor, you can donate to our Patreon account or directly donate to us on our website, which is feministkilljoyspodcast.com. And, of course, you can always email us. Uh, as if we're back in 2004, which sadly now that is actually true, (laughs) fkj.phd at gmail.com. Also, side note, um, I listen to uh, Yeah Dude. I've been listening to them more and more. And their Patreon account is really cool, Rachel, because they have, um, I mean, they have such a, they've been doing this for 11 years, so their followers are just like fanatics. But Mm -hmm. they have a cool uh, message board that you can only access if you're a Patreon donator which i thought oh, cool. was interesting yeah because they used to have a message board online and i was trying to find it and they they like closed yeah. it down for donators only so anyways yeah Gayfrey i know it's just a cool like it's a cool new source for podcast funding and i don't know it's just a cool new tool totally that, um i got to see the possibilities with such a giant podcast through them so
1: yeah, absolutely. There's a podcast I listen to the struggle bus podcast that um, gives a bonus episode to um, members who support them with $5 a month. Um, so yeah, there's cool ways you can sort of um, thank your subscribers, um, you know, through through that. So that's cool.
0: Right now, we just uh, thank our subscribers through random postcards I send.
1: But... they are very cute <laughs> and appreciated though, people like those. <laughs>
0: I, um, due to my, like, low self-esteem in general, like, I, it's hard for me to, like, feel like people would want bonus episodes, you know, like, of us. Like, it's even weird sometimes for me to, like, know that people listen to us that aren't our, like, direct friends or family, you know, so. Right,
1: right. No, I still have those feelings, too. But, um, but honestly, the Facebook group, if I can give another plug to it, um, it's been growing with people that I've never met in my life, and I don't think people you've ever met in your life, and that's been really fun to meet. Um, It's just really rad to, like, meet other amazing, mostly mostly ladies, but some pe- people of other gender identities as well. Um, and it's cool. But, yeah, people like us. They really like us. Mm. Okay. Anyway. How are you? How's your week been? Oh, no, I asked you uh, first. I'm, all right. Uh, I'm okay. I'm okay. Uh, you know, the week's been – the we, it's my first week back on campus after the election, which has been um, – I don't know, we should probably have another pedagogy episode. So I won't sort of get into like how I've sort of been coping via teaching um, this Mm -hmm. week. But, uh, you know, I've been navigating that. Um, I got back to I'm very inconsistent with my uh, yoga volunteer teaching that um, I used to be much more consistent about uh, back in Minneapolis. But I taught at a it's a it's a home it's a center for people who are struggling to find housing um, and or who have addiction problems and housing problems. Everybody in the center has struggles with homelessness, but many of them also struggle with addiction um, and or uh, trauma of of a variety of sources. And um, I taught yoga to them uh, through an organization called Hands to Heart Center, which connects yoga teachers in the Boston area to different places like that. So, um, uh, uh, marginalized populations who, who maybe couldn't afford yoga in general. What is it so, called? What's the
0: organization called again?
1: Hands to heart center.
0: Hands to heart center. You said it so fast. Yep. To make
1: sure. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, so it's, uh, so I love, I love doing that. And, um, and I, I feel like as professors, we're always busy, but we also have a flexible schedule on that and I want to, you know, sort of use that as a, you know, I'm, it's, I have the kind of schedule that enables me to volunteer occasionally. So I'm glad, I'm glad to do that. And I really like doing yoga. So teaching yoga. So that was that, um, some other stuff happened this week, but I'll stop there. What have you been up to? I've also had been? a shitty
0: week. So we were both, uh, luckily together, I guess, um, um, mm-hmm post-Donald Trump election, but then, so mm-hmm. I also and am now just coming back to school, um, so I didn't get to be with my students right after the election, um, but kind of riffing off of what you were saying about coping through teaching, mm-hmm. like, I told them directly, because one of my students was like, "How was Philly? I was like, honestly, y'all, I'd rather have been, like, I would have loved to be with you all, like, just... Mm-hmm. I don't know what it is about teaching and, and we've talked about this briefly in other ways. But, you know, when we've gone through bad breakups or, you know, when I have problems with my mm-hmm. family, there's something about coming into the classroom and just maybe it's the unconditional love we give each other to be really woo woo and bell hooksy. Um, Mm -hmm. but I don't know, it was just really nice. We circled up and we talked about the election. Um, Mm -hmm. and I just told them what I thought, um, in terms of just like the world is changing. And a lot of you weren't kind of conscious during the George W. Bush era, but I lived Mm -hmm. through it and it's going to be different now. Um, Mm -hmm. and, uh, so then with all that kind of weight on my shoulders, there was just some shitty shit that went down at my school that i can't really talk about in detail but like just some stuff about like the republican leaning staff people trying to put a sword through some of the more liberal leftist um political events that we're putting on on campus Mm -hmm. in these very Mm -hmm. subtle ways um and so it was you know and i've been really trying to be supportive to our Office of Diversity and Multiculturalism because they often have to do all of this work and it's only one person. Um, And so trying to be emotionally supportive and like doing some work on behalf of them so they don't have to do all the work, um, which means then I'm getting involved in these like really intense discussions about like, why are you not printing a poster because it says this term on it? right? Um, And it's coming down to these like really micro things, but is part of this bigger problem about uh just the tensions that we're feeling right now post post election um that would have always annoyed me and always would have made me upset but at least i mean now it's like more important to like dig in and be like you can't be censoring this stuff you know yeah um but on the flip side i've been um i facetimed with my buddy Tate, um, who is somebody I know in Milwaukee, who's under the age of ten, and then (laughs) my friend,
1: friend uh, of the podcast, guest of the podcast, yeah,
0: friend of the podcast, and then also uh, Nat, who is my little buddy in Portland. I never know what to call these these like dudes in my life, you know, because they're not my like nephews. Like we don't have this like cousin thing, or I'm not their aunt. I'm not their maybe like a big sister, but like they're, I just accumulate ch- children that I love and take care of. <laughs> Yeah. Because my friends have yeah. babies and then I like glom onto them. So I don't really mm-hmm. know, but they're like my little dudes and they just always, you know, I FaceTimed with Nat yesterday and we made funny faces and, <laughs> uh, like, you know, like took out stuffed animals yeah. and started making noises and like, it just makes me right. feel so much better, <laughs> you
1: know? Yeah, that's great.
0: So, and then on, with that, um, another hopeful thing is, um, Surge, which is standing up for racial justice. It's kind of this white Ally accomplice group. Do you guys have an active mm-hmm. chapter in Boston? We do. Okay. We do. Yep. So I've never really gotten involved with them, but I get their emails and I really like them mm-hmm. because they're action oriented, at least in Minneapolis. Yeah. They're like, are you upset about Standing Rock? Here's what you can do. And um, has yeah. very concrete actions, which I prefer. Um, yeah. What I don't prefer is like sitting in a meeting with like 300 people, which is what's going to happen today. Um, so yeah. instead, I volunteer to do childcare. So I can take care of the kids. That's awesome, Mel. Yeah, be yeah. happy and then, like, not sit. I just cannot, like, sit in those giant meetings. Like,
1: mm-hmm,
2: y'all mm-hmm. decide
0: what you need me to do and then I'll just do it. But I do not want right. to be – I have no strong Part feelings yeah. about yeah. what we do. Just tell me and then I'll do it. Um, yeah. So that'll that'll make me feel good. That's my volunteering for today Yeah, I think will help. Yeah. Um,
1: yeah, that's great. That's I'll try great. not
0: to, like – like Bogart the toys but I'm not sure (laughs) you know like I might have some sharing issues but it's you know we'll figure it
1: out (laughs) right um awesome well I'm sorry that the week was also a little bit rough but it sounds like it's well it's technically Sunday so it's kind of a new week but the end of the weekend is ending on a good note
0: what are weeks anymore you know
1: What are even, what (laughs) even are we? It doesn't matter. (laughs) (laughs) I know. (laughs) It all leads Uh, to the same ending. Yeah. Um, Anyway. um, So who's ruining the dinner party this week?
0: uh, Well, besides the, the usual, we will make a shout out um, to black Friday and Thanksgiving being, uh, well, geez, y'all gonna, I hope y'all ruin some dinner parties this weekend and we support you. Yeah. Yeah. I'm very thankful to, uh, have a very liberal family and um so things will be very smooth uh around my dinner table but we obviously support you if you need if your uncle starts ruining the dinner party and you need to correct yeah. their um language so support to you i have no suggestions because i um uh there's think- been
1: go ahead would you, i've posted a couple there's been some really there's been two really good resources out i posted one i'm going to post the other one um surge actually i think was one of the groups that put it out um of how to handle family this holiday talking yeah. about the election. So those are on our group page. I can put them on our on our actual Facebook um the Facebook page as well so I can get those out to folks.
0: Great. Um but so more in line with what we actually wanted to talk about is um fake news sites ruining our dinner party. And this is I will just give a primer and then Rachel will talk a little bit more in detail about this. But if you haven't caught on to this um, One of the theories floating around as to why Donald Trump won was that this proliferation of fake news sites on Facebook. Side note, I don't necessarily agree with that theory, but it is an issue on Facebook that either fake news or very highly partisan news sources are getting Mm -hmm. um, the are making the rounds on Facebook. And it's becoming very hard for people to understand, like, what's fake, what's hyper partisan on both sides, on all sides and was yep. like an actual, actual, literal, credible, like more calm news source. And the reason why I know that this is actually an issue is because like my students come into class and I say, what's going on in the world? And they bring me these like half true stories or like stories that just are not credible. And, mm-hmm. um, and so I know it's actually impacting people. So I believe that for sure. Um, there's a couple cool um, graphics that I think the Washington Post put out for sure that kind of showed what a like a red Facebook news feed looks like Mm -hmm. and what a blue Facebook news feed looks like. And right, it's for real, because the blue one is like, oh, my God, that looks just like my Facebook feed. Um, Yeah. And it's a interesting thing to think about. Um, But there's been some media scholars that have really taken up this seriously and want to educate people on what fake news sites look like and how you can analyze. But we actually have like a like kind of a personal connection to it. So, Rachel, do you want to explain what's been going on?
1: Yeah. So, a uh, friend of the podcast and former guest on the show, uh, Dr. Melissa Zimdars, um, who Melody got to finally meet in person last weekend, uh, and who is a friend of mine and we teach at the same school. She, uh, she had planned. She had been starting this list of these fake and/or very clickbaity type. Um, uh, news news sources for the exact same reason that you're discussing Melody because you know she wanted to create a resource for her students because she would notice that students were were citing you know these totally not credible sources at all in papers and et cetera. So she just created like a lot of media you know professors do we just you know create resources and create things or all professors really create things for our students and she put it on Facebook. Um, and it ended up going viral. Um, I don't remember the exact number of times it has been shared, but a lot to the point that, um, not only did she get a lot of good feedback of people being like, Ooh, can I share this? This is great. Um, but, and also a bunch of, all of a sudden she was getting like calls from NPR and calls from CNN. Um, and then coupled alongside that she was getting, uh, truly hateful trolling via email, via her school phone number, which is, you know, accessible um, publicly. Um, One of the trolls uh, wrote an article on the site that, one of the sites that she has on this list and, you know, just scathingly horrible, hateful things about how she shouldn't be teaching and she's a dictator telling her students what to read and think, which is like literally the exact opposite of what this document was. Um, it was literally like be a critical thinker when you engage with news sources. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's been really, really, um, to me first, I was just like very confused that people would be so upset by this. Um, and, you know, she and I were kind of joking, like, she stands for things that are more controversial than this, you know, like, there are there are other things that many professors could probably get, um, you know, oh, speaking, and I actually had her take our podcast, our podcast was on my, uh, my school's, like, faculty profile. And I had her remove that because these trolls have just been like, you know, trying to get dirt on basically everybody. And I was like, if they, you know, (laughs) this podcast is certainly worse than like publishing a list of fake news sites in terms of what people get angry about. So, um, anyway, it's been horrible for her. She's had like a truly horrible week. Um, but also she's, she's done this really important thing that is also getting a lot of really positive attention, but yeah, it's, um, it's, and, and, you know, it was her, her creating this document wasn't because she had a conspiracy theory that, this is what helped Trump win the election, but it did come on the heels of that. She, you know, she put it out the same day that Facebook was getting, um, sort of reamed out for letting these stories about Trump, uh, get circulated. And so it was just that timing was, was part of it as well. So, whew, I mean, trolls are ruining the dinner party and fake news in general also.
0: Blah. so, um, if people are listening and they're like, we want access to that Google doc. Um, we don't have the list anymore the list got taken down um because it's going to get put up in a more permanent spot um so the google doc right now just has this really nice list of uh just tips and tricks to analyze a news source like whether it is credible or not and again to like reiterate what rachel was saying like as professors we would never tell them not to engage with those sources, but more how to engage with them. Because mm-hmm. I read partisan news often, so there's a difference between fake news and partisan news. Right. Fake news is obviously an issue, but you know we have the Onion, right? And we're very clear that 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 is you know fake. Um, right. But there's fake news that is like trying to pass itself off as real news in hopes that you believe it. And then, yeah, interestingly, just to like do a little history lesson. Newspapers, um, when they first started here in the 1700s, they were actually partisan, um, and so like yep. the argument of not having partisan news is like not where we're going. It's just more like you mm-hmm. need to be aware if you're reading partisan news, um, right? Kind of where they're coming from, um, because right. yeah, our newspaper, our media world was has been grounded on partisan news. That's where it came from. Um, And it was Mm -hmm. very critical of the government from day one. Mm -hmm. And so that's important. Mm -hmm. And that's why it's kind of tricky for us to critique partisan news, because that was very foundational um, and why the First Amendment is the way it is to protect the freedom of press as well. But the way that it's being taken up as a value now um, is uh, troubling because of the credibility of the journalists or the people behind these news sites.
1: Totally. Including, by the way, another person who's ruining the dinner party is Steve Bannon, who is literal human garbage and um, is the former, I guess, CEO of Breitbart, which is a highly what people call alt-right, which is just a euphemism for white supremacist fucking bullshit neo-Nazi pieces of trash. Um, and that is, uh, uh, somebody that Donald Trump appointed to his cabinet. So that's great. Um, so yeah, mm-hmm. Steve Bannon is ruining all the dinner parties.
0: Yeah. So and I'm sure we'll, bad. we'll keep talking about this issue if it's interesting to people. Cause as a journalism professor, I'm like totally fascinated by this. And if yeah. I, if my, if my online media writing class fills next semester, like we're going to be talking about this constantly. Um, yeah, because it's a it's a big yeah. issue. Um. So anyways,
1: yeah, it's to be continued. Yeah. So should we uh,
0: uh, transition into our main topic for today about kind of talking about the Bush era politics resurging, resurfacing?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I think we, we both mentioned this kind of organically. I don't remember who, who sort of set, kind of said it to each other first. But I mean, it's It feels kind of impossible if you were um, of a particular age and remotely involved in anything political to sort of not feel like this is reminiscent, that the election of Trump is uh, reminiscent, reminiscent, why am I Mm -hmm. not saying that word correctly? I don't know. I can't Um, pronounce words either today, so we're good. uh, of, Of... the election of bush particularly bush's second term i think um you know people were unhappy and this is also maybe because of my age i i don't think i was able to vote for him the first i mean i wouldn't have voted for him but i don't think i was able when was he first elected? No, you, what was no, his first time we weren't
0: no i was still in we school. weren't so it was yeah
1: so it was a second term so you know this yeah. first time i got to vote and i was like great we're gonna vote you know we're gonna get this You know, very sort of unintelligent man who voted for an illegal or, you know, who got us into an illegal war, um, you know, does all these things that I as as a burgeoning political activist was, you know, things that I resented and hated. Um, And then he still won, um, even though he was doing all these horrible things. Um, So it's it's honestly not, um, you know, his behavior as an individual as sort of an individual man, he wasn't as deplorable as Donald Trump, but starting, I mean, the Iraq war is one of the most deplorable things in our nation's history. I mean, it's, it's, it was, it's a horrible stain on our, on our, on our history. So, so that was bad and he still got elected. So just that feeling of like, wait, doesn't the country knows he's horrible and we're still going to elect him. That's, it's that similar feeling. So we sort of wanted to talk about some of those comparisons and also the sort of activist responses and just general cultural responses um, and things we sort of learned from being really very politically involved and activisty back in that era. Um, yeah, so that's sort of the intro.
0: Yeah, and one thing I would add to the history and, and the parallels is in the election that we couldn't vote for in 2000, that was when Al Gore won the popular vote but lost. Right. The because of the Electoral College. And so that that is why you're seeing some of these petitions come up, because now this is the second time the Democrats have lost to a pretty evil person, uh, but yet had still won the popular vote. And so it's just kind of this issue again, whether we should banish the Electoral College because it could one day help us um, is another thing, because Obama won by a landslide both times. Um,
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I just
0: wanted to to bring that history in too. It's it's this issue about winning the popular vote but losing the election. Yeah. Um, which yep. SNL. Um, <laughs> I watched SNL last night and one mm-hmm. of the they had this amazing to talk about the media just real quick. They had this amazing skit about Anderson Cooper's three sixty show, and it was yeah. that all of the talking heads were actually robots, and so they just kind of kept saying the same thing every time Anderson Cooper brought up a new topic. Um, yeah. which is just like a commentary on, on cable. <laughs> yeah. But their yeah. Trump supporter that came in kept saying, but he won the election. He won the popular vote. Um, talking about Donald Trump. Yeah. yeah. And so this just kind of to bring back the dinner party, just kind of the reiteration of like, not truths that they just keep repeating right. in hopes that people will believe them. So anyways.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. 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 I haven't watched it yet. I'll watch it.
0: Yeah. And so, yeah. We, so we have a lot of parallels. Uh, we've, Rachel and I have just kind of been communicating over the last week about uh, similarities that we're seeing pop up. And my tendency to I've just been like listening to old music that I used to listen to or during that era, um, Mm -hmm. because there was a lot of bands. Well, I'll speak for myself. I was like into like emo, like indie rock, I guess you would call it. Um, Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. a lot of those artists were writing like sad songs about the war and protests. And so I've been just kind of going back to that. I've been um, just for therapeutic reasons. Um, Totally. But I I think too, like, you know, to start with the inauguration um, that, so they're asking people to go protest at the Donald Trump inauguration. And Mm -hmm. did you go to the George Bush inauguration the second time?
1: I it wasn't the inauguration that I went to. I went to a big DC protest in front of the White House. In well, maybe it was. It was cold out. It was cold. I don't remember if I went. I re- I don't remember if I went to the inauguration or if I went to one of the other ones. No, I might have done it on the anniversary. Anyway, regardless, I did some of the big DC protests. Um, but you, you went to the inauguration. Yeah, and
0: that's where I where I got introduced to the Black Bloc.
1: And I remember
0: I came back from D.C. because we were, you know, undergrads and um, I just like love them. I just thought that they were like the coolest, like both in politics, Mm -hmm. you know, they were like blocking the streets, putting dumpsters in the streets, setting stuff on fire. Like I was just like, Mm -hmm. yes, like this is amazing. And so I remember I got back to school and I like came, I like just like was black block then. Like I was just like pissed <laughs> and I said had this attitude because I was like, oh, you can be like that. Like it's okay yeah. to be angry totally. all the time, you know? Yeah. Um, I just didn't have that model. Just like I didn't have, once I found out about Riot Girl I was like, oh, right. like I'm right. not crazy <laughs> for like wanting to be like that. Um, right. And so But also some of it was just me being like really young and stupid, you know, being like, "I'm tough as shit," and I had like, um, remember those studded belts? Like, you know, oh yeah, (laughs) oh I had like a thick one, you know. Yeah. Oh. (laughs) And I remember I took selfies. Well, it wasn't they weren't called that then, but I would take selfies with like a black bandana over my
1: mouth. Yep. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yep. I did. I did all that same stuff. Yeah, they weren't called selfies then. (laughs) Um. Yeah. No, totally. It was incredibly, um, like learning about, uh, just, yeah, just going to your first, like going, going to a press for the first time is like an incredibly like intoxicating thing. Um, learning about like these different subcultures. Yeah. I mean, I identified as an anarchist for a long time, partly because yeah, I thought the black black was fucking awesome. Um, And yeah, I just got really swept away in the sort of like romanticness of all of that. And even the way we're talking about it, clearly it's, it feels, it still feels very romantic and, and I'm, you know, very nostalgic for, um, the way I felt, I just wasn't that cynical, you know, I wasn't very, I wasn't as cynical, um, because we were younger and I was like, we're going to stop the war. And like every protest, I was like, this could stop the war. And There are moments that I still want to feel like that about, like, you know, overthrowing capitalism, for example, but it's just harder. Um, So, but anyway, I, that's, that's sort of a tangent, Um, but I feel you.
0: So I'll just like kind of. Like So another historical moment was the WTO protests in Seattle Mm -hmm. um, and Mm -hmm. the the Black Bloc kind of just destroying a lot of property. And I bring that up Mm -hmm. because Portland's response to Trump being elected was very like WTO, Bush inauguration, like old school Black Bloc response. Um, Mm -hmm. Which I haven't seen. The only time we've seen like violent protests lately has been with the Black Lives Matter movement. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's why, you know, we're framing this kind of racially as well, because I wasn't I was I didn't have my racial justice like education at all. I was not critically racially engaged in the early 2000s um, and mm-hmm. so looking back at it you know these anarchists it's a it's a very white space and so that's one of the cr- critiques of that movement but that is definitely resurged now when they have a space and so in Portland it was really interesting because they had the anti-trump protests just like we did all over the country I went to one of them in Philly in, in Philly they were like every single night um, but anyways in Portland it led to property damage. So yeah. some of so this is very common where there'll be like a peaceful protest and the anarchists are like, fuck this. And they just start, you know, doing what they need to do to express themselves, which included in Portland, some destruction of a car dealership, which is very old school, like,
1: fuck yeah.
0: the, you know, like pro environmental radical activism, right. uh, ELF kind of thing. And then um, they also started destroying property in the Pearl District, which if people aren't familiar with Portland, it's like the hyper rich, gentrifying section of downtown, which like butts up against like where homeless people hang out and where there's homeless services, you know. And so there's like this riff. Um, It's -hmm. very obvious. The Pearl District is just like, whatever. They have tons of money. It's stupid. Like, sure. Like, I can see why they would target that place. And I can see why they would target the car dealership. But what's interesting is, and maybe this is because of the age of the internet, um, being able to communicate this, but the protest organizers set up a GoFundMe to raise money to fix, to pay for the damage that the anarchists caused.
1: Really? Yeah. Interesting.
0: Yeah. Usually... (laughs) that doesn't happen um sometimes the protest organizers will distance themselves um from the right it's always a riff at protests if you go it's just like and i mean it's the same with with in the black lives matter protests too there's always more militant people that want to escalate and trying to to organize that is not my job and that's why i don't you know organize protests um Right. It's very tricky. But there's usually not like a total dismissal to the point where they raise money to pay for property damage. Yeah.
1: So that is yeah, a new twist. Is...
0: A new twist, But the anarchists are alive and well in in northwest America, which is par for the yeah. course, because that's where they like their bases, usually. Right. Um, a lot of anarchists. Well, they're everywhere. They're everywhere. But, yeah. but because of the ruralness, yeah. I think they like they can hide out there more. There seems to be. Well, when we were younger, that's where the big cells were.
1: That's where right, we, the right, ALF right. and
0: the ELF hit out and stuff. So Right,
1: right, right. No true. And man. Yeah, that's really, that's, that's really interesting. Um, yeah. yeah, I think that is, uh, so this is also related to the sort of infighting that I want to talk about, that social media yeah. is just like fucking exacerbating in ways that are just really stressful. Um, but first, I would just want to say that this, this framing of like the militant protesters and the peaceful protesters, we're probably gonna hear a fucking lot about that because that was like all we heard about um uh in in back in the era that we're discussing. Uh and it creates, you know, this binary of the good the good protester and the bad protester. And um you know there there is, and I'll I'll actually say this in relation to something that I read about in Minneapolis Mel so correct me if I get any of this information incorrect. But there was a Black Lives Matter uh, occupation that did get a little violent, and a lot of people blamed the quote-unquote white anarchists. But um, in truth, not all anarchists are white, and that does sort of erase militant POC, and And then to create the binary of, well, that's the bad kind of protesting and the peaceful protesting is the good kind of protesting, of course, gets into this discussion of, um, you know, this idea that that nonviolence is the only method of resistance, which is uh, we should maybe do a whole episode on like violent versus nonviolent activism, because um, as we've mentioned on the show before, you know, having a lot of respect for... um, the militancy of the black Panthers, for example, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, I'm just, I'm just sort of waiting for that sort of that split. And I'll actually say that even in my youth, when I was like anarchist identified, I was, I wasn't actually, I was still a pacifist. I was like an anarchist pacifist basically. And I wrote this thing for this like paper newsletter um, that, no, first I wrote it on my live journal and then it got published in a paper newsletter. <laughs> yes! Yeah. Wrote it on my Bring live journal. Bring back the live journal. Uh, no. Yep. Yes. And it was, it was actually in response to, um, the RNC in St. Paul. And I basically critiqued the, 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 the property destruction because I didn't know enough about not publicly you know, criticizing a diversity of tactics. And I was just like, I was live journaling, right? I was like, I'm in my live journal, I'm gonna li- and I was like, it was all like, I want a world where you know, blah, blah, blah. it was just like, you know, whatever, flowery, pacifist anarchist, Rachel, like whatever. And then it ended up getting published in this newsletter. And then got like, I posted it on Facebook, because I like wasn't thinking. And then I basically, half of my like, Half the anarchists in Chicago like basically excommunicated me and told me like I wasn't welcome in their spaces and like all of this stuff. So um, so that's just like a personal story of infighting and like a lesson that I learned about the diversity of tactics, which is a which is a phrase that we use in activist communities to describe literally that the diversity of tactics that exist in activist spaces so there are some people who are going to do more militant things there are some people who go, who are going to like play by the rules there are some people who are going to do like policy stuff they're ex blah 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 so to respect that one belief is that we should respect all of these things and work to not create infighting so that we keep our energy focused on the actual enemy which is you know if we want to say it's Trump in this case i would expand that into like capitalism and you know, the current two party system, I guess. But, um, but that, uh, that was a lesson I learned about diversity of tact, respecting diversity of tactics. Um, it also helped me like reflect on what nonviolence meant to me and whether that was good or bad. And, um, uh, also made me know to not publish my live journal on Facebook. <laughs>
0: <laughs> live journal still exists, by the way. I think I might I might, uh, I bet you I could still remember my old account login. Oh yeah. I
1: visit my old one sometimes just for kicks. Oh man.
0: I think I could, unless I like deleted it one day and, um, in anger or something, but I hope it still exists. Because I know on MySpace you can't uh you can't see your wall anymore.
1: Your pictures are available, but the walls oh, are really? gone.
0: Yeah, which Oh is interesting.
1: Oh I didn't know the pictures are still available. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Anyways, um back to more important things. Uh Yeah. <laughs> so the yeah the so the infighting, um so to to bring this all full circle too, back to the inauguration thing, so With Trump's inauguration, now here's going to be another opportunity for this infighting to kind of percolate, but also more hopeful, there's going to be protests and there's going to be a diversity of tactics. Um, But then kind of running simultaneous to the Trump inauguration is a march on Washington that is focused on on women, um, which I don't know a ton about. I've just been asked to go and um, I probably won't because my semester has started and um, I just don't know if it's the best use of my time, but Rachel, there's some stuff going on already with some infighting there that kind of brings up our whiteness topic, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So
0: what's going on? With yeah. That?
1: So there's... I've seen two big pushes for the marches in January. One is the Women's March on Washington on January 21st, and the other one is just the inauguration march on the 20th. This Women's March on Washington has been getting a lot of traction. Um, I saw a bunch of people on my Facebook respond that they were going, and I planned to be there that weekend for the weekend. So I I was like, well, I want to be there Friday, so I will go to this thing Saturday too. Um, However... And this is this came to my attention because of our Facebook group. So shout out to those folks um, posting about it. Uh, there have been women of color who have come out, basically, um, basically calling for people not to go to this women's march and/or at least to express disapproval of the way that this march has been organized. Um, number one, the March on Washington is uh, is a name that uh, Martin Luther King used for um, you know in the civil rights era. Um, and then the women's March, which happened many years later was a black women's March. If I'm rem- mon- one million women, um, I think is what it was called. Uh, so basically both of these things, even in the title, it's already kind of co-opting, um, a black civil rights era sort of a uh, thing, which is, um, you know, this is, they're all connected, but it's a different, this is different, right? Um, and second, it was started and founded by white women and there were no women of color involved um in the beginning. Since since that sort of since it got since it started growing, more women of color started sitting on the board. Some of them are or the board or the committee rather. Um some of them are still there, but some of the women of color have been publicly writing about how they are stepping down um because uh, because it, it has not felt like an inclusive space, and it, uh, these women of color are writing about how they have felt silenced uh, by some of the women, lead- or the white women leaders in the movement. So there is a discussion um, on, on like I said, on our on our Facebook group right now, but also I think probably for people in general about what do we do? Should we go to you know what what should white women do and or any women who are interested in going but want to res- want to respect these women of color who are no longer going to go. But also there's a ton of women in color who are still going to go. And so what do we do? What do we do? And, you know, I have to say that it was rare back in the early 2000s that I knew or learned about or thought about the organizers. Of, I just like when the protest happened, I was there. Um, so I think, uh, you know, this it's it's. Yeah, something that I just didn't give enough thought to probably before, but I don't know. What do you think?
0: So this is, it's interesting about the organizing committee because uh, in my bike world, I do a lot of thinking and talking about community engagement and community organizing. Mm -hmm. And um, this is something I wrote about in my book too, is that it seems like silly that um, starting a team with just white people would really like ruin or just kind of like, set the stage but it really Mm -hmm. really really does like they Mm -hmm. fucked up from day one if they did not have people of color friends to start you know because i bet you they're like we didn't know anybody and like that that alone means you're not the right people to start this right that means you send that idea off somewhere else because it is it's it's going to be impossible now just seeing how other things work um to actively it's it was whitewashed from the beginning it's going to stay whitewashed, you know? Yeah. Um. And so that's, it's very disappointing. And I can totally understand why POC organizers that dropped in after the initial crew got started, how they would yeah. feel unwelcome because right. as, as a white middle-class educated person, I don't, yeah, like I have a certain way of organizing that doesn't speak to everybody. And if yeah. I'm just organizing with fellow white people, it's going to be so whitewashed. It, yeah. It's just how it is, you know? Um. We just think, and not to be like, um, I don't want to do a blanket statement, you know, but we tend to organize in different ways. Our creativity comes from different spaces. It's just hard to include. And because we are the dominant, quote unquote, um, group, um, people feel, other people coming in feel, um oppressed. Whereas like if I stepped into a Latino run organizing committee, you know, um the the dynamics the power dynamics would be different. And I don't even know if I would step into that because it's their group unless welcomed into. Anyways, aside, um so yeah, that's stupid. Um that, that's how it happened. Now whether you go or you don't go, I think brings up something that's been bothering me too about this infighting is this activism policing. You know, like yeah. so if you're a person I can't I'm only going to speak as a white activist because because that's my experience. Um, but like this, like you're the best activist if you do the following things that you denounce the march and you don't go to the march. And, you know, and if you do go to the march, then all of a sudden you're supporting, you know, a racially oppressive organizing committee, you know. Right. And I was getting that with the the safety pin thing, you know. Yeah. Like wearing a, yeah. not wearing a safety pin. It's like, are you kidding me? Like. I know. Just stop. Like, why are we wasting our time telling each other how to be activists? You know, we're all coming at this at a different level. And if this is our first time protesting and you want to go to the the whitewashed March on Washington, then like know that you're doing that. And if that's your first attempt, then go ahead. Like, why am I wasting my time telling somebody not not to go? Like, be critically aware of what's going on. But like. If it's brave of you to put a safety pin on your coat, then rad, you know, like a lot of us are beyond that, but that doesn't mean that I'm going to shame you for choosing to do that. Does that make sense? Yeah. I know yeah. We, I no, know. we so- started talking about this last time where I was like being like, just let people be emotional, like stop telling people not right. to be. And I know this is like super messy, but it's this infighting that just is like, we got to figure out a different way to talk about it with each other. You know, yeah, it comes off very shame filled online. And I'm just like, not into that. That's just a big turnoff for me.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, those are my thoughts. I think those are good thoughts. Uh, uh, it it is, it's incredibly messy. Like it feels really difficult to not listen to, um, the sort of request or call of, you know, rad women of color, um, and also, it's, like, I, it, I think it's also kind of a trap for white people to be, like, oh, well, you know, the black woman told me to do this, so I'll do this. And it's, like, well, there's also other black women who are still going to the march and still organizing the march. So, like, it just becomes this, like, oh, to be good white people, we, like, listen to the the the, the people of color without, you know, and then it's do, – does that make sense? You know what yep. I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, um, and then that also kind of doesn't treat them as fully human because we're like not engaging critically with what we decide to do in that way because it's like, oh, it's a, it's a it's a, it's just tokenizing is what it is. It's like, well I'll listen to this. So anyway, I'm I'm rambling because I think it's messy and because I don't I don't know if there's a right answer, but I also do think this also goes back to like the lifestyle politics discussion we had. It's like if you go or if you don't go, like that's going to be about how you feel about yourself and whether or not you're your best white person or your best, you know, ally or activist or whatever. And I agree that like the energy that it expends to decide that is not productive to sustaining your activism or whatever. So, um, yeah, I, I just I'm just I'm just, I think I echo pretty much everything you say I do think it's complicated um, this happened on my Facebook I posted an, uh, an, sort of a, a, a long Facebook post from a person I a scholar and uh, that I like very much and it the title was eight things that are better than wearing a safety pin and I thought that was a pretty innocuous thing and it was like it had a bunch of really good ideas like calling your your state representatives um, donating money to to uh, trans people's surgeries if they aren't going to be covered anymore. Like, you know, all of these really like very tangible things. Um, but then some, some of, uh, some people on my Facebook responded to the title of that and just felt that it was really, um, really shaming, uh, that this idea that it, that it belittles the safety pin wearing and stuff like that. And then at that point, that's, that's when I, that infighting becomes like, I just, I have to step back. I, I, I definitely took. Uh, stepped away from online spaces. Um, there's been a ton of articles about using the term the white working class. And, like, mm, yeah. and I, like, I a bunch of people Ooh. were sending me think pieces about it. And mm. I was, like, I cannot read one more think piece about the white working class. Like, I just literally can't. Like, I was so angry at think pieces because I was, like, stop like stop stop writing your thoughts on a blog and like I just can't like I just it's this is not doing anything and like it just felt really and you know this is this is clearly a a tiny sliver of what people of color must feel particularly black people when there's think pieces about like Mm -hmm. the the sort of the rhetoric of black lives and it's Mm -hmm. like it gets down to this like all this like discursive stuff that is honestly what we do as communication scholars. But sometimes I just want to throw up about it. Cause I'm like, I don't care what your thought is on the rhetorical construction of the term, the white working class. I care about like actually like organizing poor people of all everything. And yeah, talking about the particularities of white working class people. But like, I just could not give any more, like any less fucks about how people think about this term and I was just like so angry at those think pieces and just so angry at my social media for like knowing that that's what people were spending their time on even though I've totally participated in it I mean as 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 you know fucking intellectuals like that's like what we fucking do but it's really stressful right now to hear this to hear these like left of center people just like arguing about language or i mean i think the march is a little different like i think leadership questions arguing about leadership and race is like actually quite quite an important question um but in terms of like shaming people like infighting are you going to go or are you not going to go you're a bad person or you're a good person like there's just it's it's not productive
0: yeah and i think it comes down to also like what is the end goal of the march what is the strategy um and so like if it's to get news, so basically going back to your, your thing, if you choose not to go or you go, it's not going to like dismantle Trump's power, you know, like, right. so is it to, exactly. is it to, is the march to bring us all together and to start a big organizing group, you know, to like, uh, make us feel like a cohesive group that then we take that energy back to our individual cities and towns or. Is it to take away news coverage from Trump and focus on the protests? Mm -hmm. You know, there's there's I'm not sure because I'm not on the committee, but, you know, there's some kind of goal um, and desired outcome. And and as I say, kind of taking that energy back to the cities and towns, I would, you know, if people another thing about these massive protests is like that is one one tactic. But I think, you know, on the micro level, that's where I think some of the most important change happens and like there was some famous quote about how, you know, politics is really at the local level, not the national. And to just Mm -hmm. keep pushing people in your local areas, um, Mm -hmm. things that these marches will represent and demand, but then, you know, you can take that and, and do things on the local level. So if you can't fly out to Washington or drive there, like it's okay. There's things you can do in your community. Um, totally. And then it also, so, so this big march also reminded me of critical mass, which I'm yep. curious if other listeners, have you heard about anything in, in Boston, Critical mass. I haven't.
1: I haven't. I'm also not like as looped into the same communities that, I, that would necessarily have told me that. So it could be happening here. I just don't know about it right okay. now.
0: And also going back to our original uh, commentary, so this like white male like bike messenger dude like started a Facebook event thing for critical mass for Monday, which mm-hmm. is not mm-hmm. so critical mass. If people aren't familiar, it, it's um it's largely died down in the United States, but it started, um in San Francisco, Berkeley. Um, so the last Friday of every month at five or five thirty, every city would meet and like bike around, um during rush hour to demand more attention to bike rights, which we are like. At least in my city, we're beyond, um, but it was very much a environmental cause, radical politics, lots of punks, um, pretty white space, um, at least in the ones that I attended. And so now it's like getting a resurgence here in Minneapolis and we're, there's going to be a critical mass on Monday um, mm-hmm. as like an anti-Trump thing. But it's just so, mm-hmm. that was another reason why I was like, man, this is so uncanny that like... These, like, literally these tactics that we haven't used since the George George W. Bush era are, like, back in full swing. Um, totally. And it's just, it's just really interesting. And so I'm just, you know, part of this podcast episode is just trying to think through, you know, why that is, some of the pros and cons of these tactics. Um, but also, we cannot deny the, like, nostalgia factor of totally. um, these things coming back. And also, I'm excited for more music to come out that's, you know. Yeah. Like, I was really into sorry, uh, to true punk fans, but I was really into no effects and like all their like anti bush shit. And you know, people have been saying not my president, which is from Fat Records and like the yeah. no effects crew. Yep, they started that. Yep. I still have my yeah. not my president George Bush sticker. Um,
1: yeah, and so yeah, they, totally. Anyway,
0: so they're like resurging that uh, right. slogan, and it's just like, dude you know, we're back there. We're back there again. I know. Um, and I know. now it's not and it, just one, just one more like quick parallel yeah, that I please. just thought of too. Like during the Bush era, there was all that commentary against Fox news. And yeah. it's interesting. Now our commentary is all about like fake slash hyperpartisan news sources, you know? So even yeah. the same commentary about news is coming up.
1: It's true. It is. It's really interesting. And honestly, I bet it's, I'm sure every activist generation of activists who sort of age out of like a really intense era of whatever the activism was and then like look back and like look at the sort of like you know the sort of the the new generation of like cuz you know it's will obviously be involved in all of this stuff but the it's it often often student students are some of the biggest you know, charges of these, of these movements because they have a little more time generally, which is another reason it's whitewashed, right. In a lot of Mm -hmm. situations, um, Mm -hmm. because it's people who, you know, don't necessarily have to work all the time or whatever. Not that, um, amazing POC activism doesn't happen because those folks are like down for the revolution and are going to like make the, do the things they need to do. But that's just, it will likely be a lot of younger people who are going to be, a large part of this movement and they're going to be doing all this for the first time. And I just think, I just have this sense that, you know, when I was like a baby 18 year old activist, you know, some of the older folks that I knew who were probably just like, they're going to have to learn all these lessons all over again. And like, can't they're just, you know, the idea of identity politics, right? Like the idea that we're fighting about um, or, or diversity of tactics, like these, these are fights that have been happening, you know, since, AIDS activism since Vietnam since mm-hmm. civil rights. You know, like every movement has these things. And I just feel like um it's hard for new generations to learn it without experiencing it. Um so yeah, it's just gonna be it's gonna be interesting. And yeah, the parallels are really, really uncanny. Um, my first foray into audio uh editing, my the first time I ever so which was maybe a good foundation since I now edit the podcast. Um was a documentary, an audio documentary about critical mass. I did like a little like kind of little kind of like NPR like story about critical mass. And I'm just thinking back to that and my interviewing people about how it was so white and riding along. And yeah, anyway, just nostalgic slash a little worried, like slash, I don't know. Yeah, it's going to be uh, interesting, going to be an interesting four years.
0: Yeah. And speaking of identity politics, too, there's a New York Times article that came out today that's been making rounds of criticism. It's called The End of Identity Liberalism, and it's about Mm. um, a post-identity liberal press um, and educating itself about different parts of the country. Um, And so people, one of the critiques I heard was from a Black Lives Matter person being like, this is just like targeted to white people. Like, yeah. And I think it's. I haven't even read the article, but I'm guessing some of it is about um, like how how wrapped up we are, the li- the liberals and identity politics and how that has mm-hmm. totally ignored um, a lot of people that voted for Trump that um, might have voted for Obama in the past. But because of this identity mm-hmm. politics of having to be like, you know, super anti-racist and super anti-sexist and um, there's just some issues going on there, um, that's definitely uh alienating a lot of people
2: Mm -hmm, um and the mm -hmm. press
0: so anyways but it's it's um if you're interested the end of identity liberalism just google it and you can read a uh, controversial article from the new york times who like has zero class awareness and i can't stand sometimes but like also has a lot of resources and, and has the top the top journalists in our country and like, does really important news, but some of their think pieces are just like eye rolls. I know. You know? Yeah, so totally. With a grain totally. Of salt, so,
1: yeah, absolutely. Take it with
0: a grain of fairly traded organic salt.
1: <laughs> Pink Himalayan, preferably. Oh,
0: yes. Okay, speaking of which, <laughs> um, we only have six minutes left for our hour. Okay. Um, Great. And so, should we just uh, take this time to talk about what we're reading, listening, and blah, 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 about?
1: Yeah. Let's do you do have it. any last
0: thoughts um, before I take you away?
1: No. Uh well I mean, you know, we'll keep we'll keep having some conversations, I'm sure, about this as as we ex- live through the world that that will be the world. Um so yeah, just uh I'm just gonna go and I was trying to think of that bright eyes line um, where he talks about having sex in front of a televised war. Yes, but, that's what I'm you know, saying, man.
0: you got to listen to Connor yeah. Overs again. <laughs> yeah.
1: So, yeah, I'll go back to that. Oh, and uh, yes. and then hopefully some of the, like, harder punk stuff that I used to listen to, too, just for funsies. Um, Ooh, idea. Okay. I have an
0: idea. We should put together a feminist Killjoys mixtape of older school punk songs and maybe put it on yeah, YouTube fun. for our non-Spotify people <laughs> like um, you <laughs> and how about i'll take the reins on that so if people have any great. interesting or good like old school songs from that era the bush era if you could just email them to me that or tweet them at me that would be uh, awesome i'm taking a break from uh facebook for all the reasons we just talked about um yeah and also i'm like very hard to find on facebook anyways because of my fake name so just uh i want to coordinate that
1: that'd be cool be great that'd be super fun also just for <laughs> just my
0: own sake um yeah okay what are you reading
1: watching listening to
0: okay i need a suggestion for a new fiction book that like i come home from work and like just want to read and and so rachel give me a suggestion but also i also need to find a copy of harry potter's book number one because my little buddy nat is reading it and so i want to join his book club and read it because i've never read harry potter and i want you know, just be nice Great. and like well, talk
1: to him about something. That seems so. like a good. That seems like a good recommendation. You should. We should okay. ask. A, well, you're not on the on Facebook right now, but um, I bet some of our listeners would have better recommendations. I don't really read a lot of fiction. I read memoirs and nonfiction, so I don't have I don't have a recommendation for you.
0: Okay, I have um, a lot of nonfiction books. I just you know I just need a like a like even like I used to like I read the kite runner in like two days and it was very sad it was about Afghanistan yeah. but like I wanted to come home from work and like read it you know that's what I want because yeah. otherwise I just sit on my phone and do the Twitter thing and like get all right upset. right or I yeah, up no, the newspaper totally. and I get upset you know so I just need yep. Harry Potter is probably my answer but aren't those books okay. really easy to read don't you go through them fast
1: I think so I, I actually have never read them either but people I think that's True. So Anyways, give that okay. a try.
0: And then watching, I saw Moonlight last night, the The film Moonlight.
1: I'm jealous. How was it?
0: It was good. I'm glad I waited till the weekend and I didn't go like during the week like I was planning. Yeah. Um, it is yeah. beautiful. It is sad. It is heartwarming. I... I will say this real quick and we can talk about this more later, but it involves, I'm not ruining anything. There's like a very like subtle gay romance going on with two men and the women, the young women in the audience, it was a pack theater. The young women just like loved it. And I really think that the movie industry is really missing out on like creating more gay romances because the young women just thought it was like so sweet and so cute and like really got into it. And yeah, I mean, I did too. And nothing to say against, like, lesbian relationships or anything, but there's something about the young woman who just, like, loves these, like, cute, gay, like, flirty, right, you know. It's all the same. It's romance, you know.
1: Right, And right. I know there's
0: a lot of straight women that love gay porn and, you know, but I'm just, like, yeah. I was, like, man, I wish that some movie executives would be in here right now, like, listening right. to these young girls geeking out about these, right. these boys. Because
1: right, right. Yeah. It was not Yeah, amazing. that's cool.
0: Yeah. yeah. And then I'm listening. And then listening to Connor ober's new album called ruminations he's clearly yep. uh very depressed which i'm very sad about but <laughs> yeah. um i hope he gets back on his meds but he has produced a very sad album that is very old school bright eyes um yeah and he put it
1: on youtube have you heard it i have heard it i've listened yeah. to it a couple times is that yeah, a fair
0: so. summary review
1: of the album what's my you want my summary my no, review
0: is my summary
1: Oh, like, yeah, I think that's fair. I okay. think that's a fair summary. Yep, yep, totally, totally. I've been following him. Um, cool. Yeah, and so I can tell he's sad now.
0: Anyways. Uh, yeah. <laughs> A2, A2 <laughs> what Connor. are you, uh, R.W.L.? Um,
1: I'm reading uh, Between the World and Me, finally, uh, Ta-Nehisi Coates' book uh, and because I'm teaching it to my social justice class, so we're going to be cool. reading and discussing Um that book and it's 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 beautiful and and difficult so far you know it's a letter to his son about being a black man in America and it's um it's pretty heavy, uh but it's it's he's a beautiful writer um watching uh, I haven't watched last night's SNL but I did finally watch um last uh last week's SNL with Dave Chappelle and I thought it was like flawless I thought it was really 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 good, um and funny. Um, and then I've been listening to Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings oh, yeah. because Sharon Jones passed away, um, which, am um, which I'm super sad about. I knew she'd yeah. been battling cancer for a long time and, um, she just made some amazing music and it's just, okay. just was like a inspiring fucking woman. Cause she got like famous in her fifties, like, um, which is, and she just crushed it. And so RIP yeah. R. Sharon Jones. Um, yeah, yeah so Charles that's, that's
0: that. Uh, If anybody's familiar with Charles Bradley, he has a similar story of, like, struggling throughout his life, and then later in his life gets discovered and has all the success. Um, He's also very sick, too. So... Yeah.
1: Um, yeah. But
0: interesting parallels. And I actually retweeted out, or I tweeted out to our followers, um the Chappelle skit with Chris Rock when they're like not surprised. Yeah. At, because it just reminded yeah. me so much of our conversation last week about like totally white tears totally. and then other people being like, really? Like, yeah. Uh,
1: not surprised. Yep. uh So, how are you not surprised? Yeah. How are you surprised? Right. Exactly. Yeah, cool. Um, well, that was, uh, I'm going to also have to just go back and listen to a lot of like 2003 music as well. So that was fun to talk about it. Um, and probably, I don't know, maybe I didn't have as much wisdom as I thought. But those those are some thoughts we had.
0: You have plenty of wisdom. It's your experiences,
1: man. Thanks. Yes. Not grounded okay. in theory, but that's okay.
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. WTF. Power. So I put my hands Bye. up Bye. I say it's enough is enough. enough If you walk away I'll, I'll walk, walk away. away And he shot me dead I, I found a liquid cure. cure From my landlocked blues It will pass away Like a slow parade It's leaving me But I don't don't know know how soon 22 years i have be used to the spin And it only feels worse when I stay in one place So I'm always pacing around or walking away And I keep drinking the ink from my pen And I'm balancing history books up on my head But it all boils down to one quotable phrase If you love something, give it away A good woman will pick you apart A box full of suggestions for your possible heart But you may be offended and you may be afraid But don't walk away, don't walk away love on the living room floor with the noise in the background from a televised war and in that deafening pleasure i thought i heard someone say if we walk away they'll walk away but greed is a bottomless our freedom's a joke we're just taking piss and the whole world must watch the sad comic display if you're still free start running away cuz we're coming for you I feel more like a stranger each time I come home So I'm making a deal with the devils of fame Saying let me walk away, please You'll be free, child, once you have died the shackles of language, immeasurable time And then we can trade places, play musical grace Till then walk away, walk away, walk away, walk away, walk away. So I'm locked back down Putting on my shoes I just want to make I know know I'm leaving, but I don't don't know where to. to